Hello and welcome. This is episode 195 of G.I. Joeberg entitled Pay the Devil His Due. My name is Steve and I'm joined by my good old friend Rob. Hello, Rob. Hey, dude. How's it going? What's up? Hey, audience. Well, what's up with you, dude? The cape has been ablaze of late. Have you survived? Yes, yes, yes. We made it. Um, it, 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 the one day it was really smoky here. Um, like all the way through the whole of town was just like a fog of smoke. Um, the University of Cape Town Library got quite badly damaged. Fortunately, they have fire doors or something, so the damage was minimized. But they did. They evacuated all of the, the students. They got to stay in hotels for a couple of days, free meals. <laughs> so that was a fun experience. But yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of the mountain is now burned and, and darkened by this experience. But um, we carry on. We carry on. I'm curious. Did you ever spend much time at the UCT library? Yeah. No, I spent a whole bunch. Um, when I was at UCT studying uh, my uh, my degree, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time there. I enjoyed kind of sitting around in there and reading the books um, and using the computers sometimes, I think, as well, when my assignments were late <laughs> to print them out. <laughs> I think I, I, I found an old periodical dealing with, like, race and gender politics in Star Trek, like the mm. original series. Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. So, And it was actually written around the same time, sort of in the 60s. Um, but, I mean... Uh, Look, I, I spent very little time in that library, to be honest. Bad well, I mean, student that I was. Well, your degree also was more focused on law. I mean, I think you did do a the film course. I did a couple of humanities courses, but yeah, I was just not one for sitting in libraries, unfortunately. That's why That's I became funny. a layabout actor. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, G.I. Joe, you shit. Um, I think you should kick this one off, Rob. This week we saw the most outrageous auction I think I've ever seen. Um, it was it was tell ridiculous. Us the tale. Oh my goodness! So so they obviously Hasbro announced that they were going to do a, a major blood in the classified line, but um, it hadn't been released yet. Yet, <clears throat> then suddenly an eBay person is selling a unreleased major blood, and people were going absolutely insane. Um, the prices went as high as I think ten, fifteen thousand dollars at times. Oh, um, I'm thinking it went possibly as high as seventeen k. But yeah, then, uh, looking back over old Facebook chat threads, people were like saying, "Ah, oh, twenty thousand, twenty-one thousand. Oh know. my goodness! Well, the thing <laughs> I, is, the I price stepped off at changing. like sixteen thousand one hundred. Oh, that was, is, that is was that, the last it, time I looked. Yeah. That's your highest bid for it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm putting up my hand. That was me. <laughs> but yeah, just it was interesting because, like, if you look back through the the bids, I mean, there's certainly certain people kind of pushing the price higher and higher. Um, and I'm not sure what happened, but a lot of the time the price went down often. So I think they canceled yes. a lot of the bids. Obviously, they're like these aren't real proper bids. I think the seller, and this was on another thread on Facebook, uh, because I'm sure there were multiples, you know, it made big waves throughout the Joe community. But uh, the seller themselves were vetting the bids. They were like, oh, this is a fake. This is a fake. So they were, uh, yes, they were kicking them off. And then ultimately eBay canned the whole thing, didn't they? Yes, it just got completely canceled. So no one got this, um, this unreleased blood figure that no one could buy anyway <laughs> someone got it i'll bet you i bet you there was a transaction that then took place offline 
or off, yeah, off site. I'm um, pretty sure that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I'm sure there were multiple offers thrown the way of this e tailor. But hey, man, it's crazy the the kind of fervor that the classified line has has generated. It's it's unfortunate, and the reasons are multi multitudinous. But hmm? at this point, aren't you kind of relieved that you're not currently collecting? I mean, we have huge sympathy for the folks who are, but like. It was never on the on the cards for us to be buying these things at retail, anyways. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, the only way we would ever get it is through eBay, because I think what a lot of them are target exclusives, um, and yeah, someone else would have to buy them, and then we'd we'd be able to get them. So yeah, so we'd be paying scalper prices, anyways. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unless it was a very trusted friend. But uh, just to put things in perspective. I think Carson Metaxas of 3D Joe's said it best when he was saying on a recent episode of the Full Force podcast that G.I. Joe as a brand has been dead for five years. Mm. Target, Walmart, the big box stores don't know this brand. It hasn't had a presence like Marvel, like Star Wars. And so for them to order as many units as the Marvel and Star Wars and Transformers brands it does not make business sense. They do not want to be stuck with dead stock. So they've been very conservative in their orders. Uh, I don't think it's Hasbro to blame necessarily. It's it's the faith in G.I. Joe as a brand yeah. being held by Target and Walmart and other, and other retailers. No, definitely. So, you don't want to be stuck with stuff you can't sell because then eventually yeah. you have to mark it down and you never get that money that you spent on it back. So that's what we have to blame. Unfortunately, it's uh, G.I. Joe's hibernation for five or six or however, however many years that there hasn't been any new product. Anyways, let's talk about something sunnier, shall we? Because while you were doing your solo pod, I was rolling in the toys, man. Because uh, hey, I, I, nice. I got some nifty, nifty little holes in the week. Well, not last week. It was the week before. So it's still fresh for uh, episode 195. I got, first up, it was a recard, essentially. It was a Fun School India card that had been, the bubble had been cut. Um, but it was a Storm Shadow version 2, 1988 style. Uh, mm. And the figure had been reinserted. But the seller was unsure. He was like, could be Fun School, could be Hasbro. And I, mm. I did my research, man. Turns out there is a definite tell. I mean, obviously, if you've got them in hand, you can tell what a fun school G.I. Joe, you know, an Indian G.I. Joe feels like. It's it, yeah. the, the plastic slightly inferior, the, the paint is slightly sloppier. But how do you tell in pictures? Now, mm. Storm Shadow 88, there is a way, even though the, the accessories are the same and the paint mask is the same. Uh, you can tell because his tattoo's upside down. <laughs> In the Fun School India version, it starts with the the unbroken line at the top of the forearm and moving down. Oh, that's uh, fascinating. The Hasbro original starts with the broken line. Ha! So I noticed that it was actually the Hasbro version. And I was like, yes. Yes. Well, thank you. Finally, God. you will be mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, though I do have one uh, back in SA, I, I missed this figure and I wanted to replace it. That first one, incidentally, was was a, a gift. A long-time listener, Scott Centafonti. If you're still out there, Scott, yo, Joe, buddy, thanks again for that Storm Shadow. 
but I had to have one here with me. And damn, if this one isn't dead mint, I'm scared to play with it, to be honest. It's so super, <laughs> super white. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta plunge in and just put that bow in his hand. <laughs> the sooner you get him dirty, the sooner you'll be able to just have fun with him. Mm -hmm. And the arrows be damned. I mean, like, if you're ginger enough inserting that bow, you can prevent snapping the the arrows that are set into it. Rob, you've actually got the fun school version, and I remember for many I was years... About to, I was about to say, yes, I do have him. I think I've got your accessories, though. I can give them back to you now, now that I finally have my own uh, hey. in 2023 when I'm back in SA. Yeah, yeah, obviously. 2032. Obviously. <laughs> 2067? Hey! Oh, <laughs> um yeah so he's great i remember when we got that fun school we, yeah, we you got that fun <laughs> school version i played with it a lot mm. Mm. i was happy to have you play with him i mean it's one of your favorite versions of the character so why not one that i yeah it was always kind of prohibited from being played with for me because it belonged to my friend lyle of the time he bought mm. it and that that kind of removed that storm shadow from being on the, on the table as it were for me uh so i just kind of admired it from afar until of course the fateful day you got the fun school version and i remember i think immediately like i must have scratched his symbol with my nail which put a <laughs> big big scar on it and i was like whoops oh well <laughs> might as well rub the rest off <laughs> Battle damage. I'm, so, I'm so sorry rob you can have one of my my Hasbro's uh, uh, in, in payment for my my flub my blups. Hey, it's fine, it's fine. He looks more mysterious now. And now he's Ronan. Now he's he's got no clan. Exactly. Uh, along with that, no, not not along with that. In a separate transaction, this one coming all the way from Kiwiland, New Zealand. Mm. This uh, I, I got another toy that uh, was was one that you had and I admired. Uh, which was Desert Scorpion. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, with his um, US release equipment, not the European release equipment. Oh, interesting. I didn't know there but, was a difference. Uh, yeah, well, look, the, the version we had came with kind of almost the bare essentials, um, mm. that being the Scorpion itself and the submachine gun. And then they included, I suppose, just to kind of keep up with the trend of spring-loaded weapons um they included rocket launcher mm -hmm. uh, but the us release has a bevy of small parts that integrate into the figure and really just a ball egg to complete to be honest further driving <laughs> driving up the price of a very desirable army builder but he has a yellow missile which then attaches to a sort of arm which can also hold his submachine gun. So you can kind of have a shoulder cannon, predator style. Uh, this, this all attaches to a stem, which is kind of factory fit into the backpack, which kind of slides up to extend okay. the missile, I suppose, over his head. Uh, the, the plug point on the side of his head uh, will attach to the back of the, the missile stem. So a, quite a complex arrangement. But that's not all. <laughs> Wait, there's more. Uh, he has a pair of what they call digger claws. <laughs> oh, what? My God. 
they sort of clip to his wrists, but not really. And now I realize why these things are so frequently lost. Uh, they do not clip very securely at all, at least not on my version. And mm. there is a left and a right. I mean, they're so small and finely molded, and yet you have to hunt down a left and a right. So it's... Oh, yeah, my God. Total headache. So, so this was a complete, a uh, person selling a complete then? Mm, it was the wrong scorpion. <laughs> and on closer inspection, it was it it was hilarious. I mean, I knew that it was the wrong scorpion because it had paint applications, but like just the molding is far inferior. Like the guy, the the, the seller was like, "Yeah, it's a nice substitute. It's not a nice substitute. It's a piece of shit." <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you get in those cheap bags of like creepy crawlies at supermarkets yes. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's one mm. of those. <laughs> it's okay. I never really found a way to integrate the mutant scorpion anyways. I thought like this is a this is something for scaring your baby sister. This is not you know, this is not something that, that actually scales with the GI Joes and is used in in situ. Yeah. I mean if you think most of the animal companions they usually they they are to scale. I mean <laughs> yeah. for it to be big, it would be like the mutant. the crocodile. Yeah, or a mutant. Or or to be a crocodile, a croc master, his one is actually big. Well, subsequent because to real becoming science. an adult and, and having access to the internet, turns out people did play with it as a mutated scorpion. Like hmm. that accessory saw play, just not with us. That's wild. I suppose they they were brought up on the cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the desert scorpion did have appearances in Deke and he just kind of like was able to like, like, I don't know, submerge out of the sand. I don't know, they kind of made him a little bit freakish, like uh, supernatural almost, mm. because they were kind of a very mysterious desert uh, exclusive troop that had some kind of communing with the sand itself. Yeah. I might be exaggerating slightly, but yeah, as I say, like they, they, at one point they appear, just they just kind of rise out of the sand. Um, I'm trying to remember if the scorpion got some play. Might have. Yeah, it, it, they they pitted Dusty and Sandstorm against the Desert Scorpion and possibly his Scorpion. Oh, but I wouldn't be surprised if I'm misremembering <clears throat> Deke. My memories of Deke, very distant. Yeah, it's not so good. I also got uh, because this Desert Scorpion had issues, and uh, if you flick back, I think two podcasts, you'll you'll be able to hear exactly what the issues were but the pricey is yeah i noticed that his um his hand had a slight crack um, on the thumb mm. that was me zooming in super close on the the photograph i was like hey mate can i have a discount because this guy's looking like he he's in need of some tlc but what yeah. i didn't notice was the fact that the antenna was snapped as well boom oh my god you're so focused on the cracks that you didn't see the the tower that was missing <laughs> Yeah, yeah, wood for the trees situation. But <laughs> uh, not only was I able to get a bit of a discount, but also um, he had a very nice outback going going cheaply enough because it didn't have its torch and the strap on the, the gun was broken off. But uh, he, he get, let me have it at a further reduced price. I think I paid uh, $20 Aussie, which is not a great deal of money for a, a, a rather rather sought after figure particularly when the survivor or survival uh print is still intact on his chest well that's fantastic um, 
Yeah, and I don't miss the strap on the rifle at all because that piece just gets in the way of you holding it correctly. It's yeah. always awkward trying to maneuver a figure's hand around a molded strap that is not very flexible at all. Unless, of course, you take the ultimate step and break it off. <laughs> then it wouldn't be vintage. Something about, <laughs> something about Outback's paint mask really struck me as odd when I finally mm -hmm. examined him in hand. Because, you know, put, to put things in perspective, we never had this figure in South Africa, did we? Um, not that I remember seeing on the shelves. Not on the shelves, not in any kind of pamphlets or leaflets or promotional material, not on any card backs either. The only Outback exposure we ever had was to Tiger Force Outback. Mm. So white-shirted Outback is somehow an outlier in my G.I. Joe lexicon, and I've never really adopted him as a result. Uh, and it's not made easy by the fact that he goes around wearing a white shirt. But looking past that, he's a hell of a great sculpt, and the face is very impressive. It's very stern, it's very gruff, it's very... It's very Chuck Norris in Missing in Action. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah he sort of... Definitely feels like a Chuck Norris character. Mm, Post-Vietnam War on a, a, a revenge uh, quest. But mm. <laughs> his, his paint mask of his uh, flesh tone, or of, of the hair on his flesh tone uh, plastic head, like the hair on the back, which is the head of his hair, and the hair of his beard, they basically meet up underneath his ear so like he's just like this 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 wolf man okay this is like this solid red matted hair like i'm looking connecting... at pictures now it's true <laughs> <laughs> connecting front and back it's crazy man he's just engulfed in this bright orange hair i mean uh, yeah he should actually have like hair coming out of the top of his shirt i mean that that's how bad it is <laughs> <laughs> well you know he chafes yeah, uh, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Look, he, he's looking buff. Maybe he waxes everything else so that he looks good in the gym. But something also tells me he's a wild man. He don't care. Um, lastly, I got... Now, this is something that hits quite close to home for you, Rob, because we mm -hmm. embrace these figures wholeheartedly when other G.I. Joe collectors derided them into oblivion. But the armor Star Brigade figures... Yes, yes, yes. Well, they were so we... available everywhere, you know, it was so easy <laughs> to get them. Nobody wanted them. <laughs> oh, man. Well, look, there was one that eluded us for very good reason, because it was a vehicle driver and it came with the armor bot, the big, white, um, clunky robot. Mm. It was a was general that? hawk. It was a hawk action figure and one that oh. we'd never seen because I think he was in one... Uh, catalog that I had to hand but it was all blacked out and it looked like an anime character anyways it wasn't you know it didn't look like an action figure so the the hawk actually makes use of Duke's body for the most part and then Robo Joe's arms um, but it's got a very unique hawk head I say unique it probably is the hawk from the jetpack hawk from 1991 it's got the kind of the same ear muffs okay. which I'm very very scared that the helmet is going to rub the paint on. But mm -hmm. 
This figure's molded in gold. And unfortunately, beautiful. well, yeah, beautiful, but the gold plastic of the late 80s, early 90s that Hasbro was peddling, it kind of is that swirly gold, which also means that it's kind of weak. Yeah. There are examples of Transformers around this era that have just crumbled to dust. Oh, no. Yeah. And they've got a name for it. It's GPS, Gold Plastic Syndrome. <laughs> so what I didn't realize uh, when I saw this online, because it was still in its bag. That's how mint this thing was. It was like the, a vehicle driver that hadn't been taken out of the plastic baggie that you would find inserted into the the, the vehicle box. That's crazy. Yeah. Just play with yeah, the, yeah. the vehicle and not the figure? Come on. Losers. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, untouched by human hands, so there was no ways this was play damage. The fist had fallen out. Ah, yeah, shit. which meant that the, the joint, the pin joint, had kind of cracked off and was left in the housing. And it was actually, the fist was actually sitting inside the helmet, which is loose in the bag. So oh, I didn't no. see it at first. Yeah, I know, right? Oh, what a dud, dud transaction. Like all three figures had issues. Anyways, um, I thought to myself, well, let me make a project of it. Let me disassemble the wrist joint because there's a screw that holds the wrist together. But okay, that, I was screw, about to ask. that screw was stripped. No. So after trying various tricks, various screw heads, um, using the old rubber band trick, like you stretch a rubber band into the cavity and then try and use that to get extra purchase, ah. nothing worked. Uh, I think just succeeded in stripping the screw out further. Um, so uh. I thought, oh, damn it. But, but you know what? Sometimes you just got to dial your mind back to the mind of a child uh, because it friction fits quite nicely. Like there's still a stump of the, 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 the joint pin on the mm -hmm. fist. So you just push that in and hey, it articulates freely enough. Friction holds it in place. And he now has manga fist attack action. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean is, is appropriate because I mean, I, I never really understood how their bodies went into these suits. <laughs> You know, because yeah. like, I imagine their arms are actually inside the chest cavity somehow, and they're just operating the arms from inside. It's tight, man. Imagine that. Like, ooh. Or like able to hands, stretch your arms. I don't know. And like somewhere near, I don't know, like the hands don't go as far as the axle fists. I don't know. It's weird. Well, it would make sense for the guys that actually replace their arms with bazookas. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'm an amputee. We're going to space. We need you to be the ultimate Joes. Make the ultimate sacrifice. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Those poor suckers. It was Duke. It was Heavy Duty and Destro. Those guys mm -hmm. sacrificed limbs in... <laughs> In, in the, the pursuit, the, the pursuit, the pursuit of, of of that gigantic battle on the moon, hey, you gotta <laughs> you gotta hand it to them. They really kind of invited imaginative play, if nothing else. It kind of pushed the limits a little bit too much for most collectors, but yeah. There we have it, ladies and gentlemen. Steve's new shit haul, very very cool. But we have a topic, Rob. What is the topic? Well, the topic is we're talking about the first couple of story arcs, or at least the first two, or the first couple of issues of the Devil's Due, GI Joe, uh, aka reinstated GI Joe comic run. Um, so in two thousand one, 
since uh, I don't know how many how, how many years that is seven years there were no GI Joe comics around, and finally some dudes at Devil's Due uh, decided, hey, we should do GI Joe comics. Hasbro, give us the license. Okay, guys, here's the license, and then they started making comics, and we had the continuation of the GI Joe story. Now this topic didn't <laughs> come out of the the ether, so so to speak, with a big blue. There are two podcasts on my current rotation that are dealing with it. So it's definitely in the air. The podcasts are, of course, G.I. Joe Chronicles, The Devil's Due Years, and my old alumni, my old, well, how would I say it? Stumping Ground. <laughs> my old Stumping <laughs> Ground, the podcast that I am a, an alumnus of, um, Talking Joe, are currently doing the the, the current IDW run of G.I. Joe, but because they are caught up in real time, they, they pad out their weekly show by retrospectively reviewing the Devil's Due issues. Huh. Well, it's appropriate. So, I mean, 2001, it's 2021. It's the 20th anniversary of the start of the comic series. Jeez, bro. I still feel like the 90s were a decade ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's frightening. It's but I mean, 2001, a... 2001, I just finished school. I think Stephen finishes the next year. So I was just out of school and there were new G.I. Joe comics. Isn't that cool? So I bought probably the first bunch of issues of this, if I remember correctly. Oh, it was a good day, my friend. Yeah. And I want to get your opinion because I must admit, mm -hmm. my opinion has kind of been handed to me by, well, by people in the know, far, far more um, comic-savvy individuals than myself, because I've had all these podcasts plugged directly into my ear holes. But Rob, <laughs> to give just an overview, how is your reception of these comics at the time? I mean, you, you did put it in perspective by saying it's 2001. You graduated high school at the end of 2001. I graduated high school at the end of 2002. But I yes. do recall you bringing the first couple of issues uh, to a concert that we were both at at City Hall. Do you remember that? I have a vague recollection. That could have been, what, what could there have been? Well, in 2001, we did a combined uh, choral smash-up, your school and mine, and a bunch of other uh, schools. I think those, yeah, because usually what our school did is that we, we did with our, not really brother school, but uh, I think we often went with, with bishops. We sang yeah, with them. Yeah. And with our sister school, um, Rustenburg Girls, High school, Rosenberg High School for girls. They had to do it the wrong way around. I don't know. <laughs> the, dates, the dates don't dovetail very well, though. It might have been another concert, a later concert that I'm misremembering and kind of conflating with that earlier one. Because mm. that concert must have been in 2001 because you hadn't graduated yet. Yeah. Uh, but I remember reading, I think it was issue, the issue where Storm Shadow arrives at the G.I. Joe base. Yeah, I and think that's probably kind of... issue 10 or 11? Yeah. No, yeah, no, yeah. no. Like 8, eight no, no, there would be somewhere like 7, 8, 9, around about mm. there. It was the, like the, so there was the, the first arc of four issues, then there was a filler with Duke and Major Blood, then yes. there was the next arc of four issues. The which reckoning. I remember being, being, yes, the Reckoning, which I remember being the superior arc for me. I was like, ooh, this is what I want to read, man. This is awesome. Um, and I remember reading it at the time. Um, but anyways, enough from yeah. me. Rob, your initial reception of this series. Bust some cherry on us, buddy. 
I think I think definitely at the time I thought it was a really cool uh you know like josh josh blaylock the writer and the guy who's doing the, the all the story and the layout and whatever else he definitely had his own take on it it kind of felt like larry harm in a way you had a lot of action focused stuff there was cool um uh, intrigue happening but he also kind of had he was padding stuff not padding stuff out but he was expanding for himself like he he wasn't like treating it like a, a holy cow you know like a golden calf or whatever the G.I. Joe franchise, um, he was kind of moving forward. Like, this is how I see G.I. Joe being, you know, after all these years. Um, and it was cool to kind of see his take on on, on how he thinks G.I. Joe would come back together and how they would deal with stuff years later. Um, yeah, I think I enjoyed it overall. I mean, I think we I even bought the, there were these little, like, encyclopedia issues where they kind of covered the you know, like the intervening years, like they gave you like the updated file cards. Um, so it was cool to have so much new information and like new stuff to go off of. And I think we incorporated some of that into our playtime as well. There's kind yeah. of new structures. I was going to get into the toys maybe a little bit later, but suffice it to say that because the initial run, the reinstated run kind of deals with GI Joe getting back on its feet when we were collecting the toys of the time, the new sculpt toys, and we got our mm. first slew of them, we kind of treated that as that was it. That was all G.I. Joe was. Like it was just this core unit of, of individuals that had been called back into service. And yes. from that point onwards, they had to kind of prove their worth, prove that G.I. Joe needed to exist, and then kind of start expanding the roster, gaining more vehicles and equipment, going on more successful raids against Cobra or the, the, the re-emergent Cobra. So the comic book series did influence the way we played. Mm -hmm. And I just remember like, ha well, if I'm allowed to make the comparison between Harmer's continuation of the ARAR series and this reinstated uh, Devil's Due kind of period, it did feel like, as you say, that 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 Josh Blaylock was progressing things. Like, he wasn't allowing things to stagnate. He addressed the fact that by the end of 1995, Cobra had been defeated. Cobra Island had been evacuated. The Cobra sympathizers within the, GI, within the United States government had been kind of rooted out and given their marching orders. And so things had progressed to a point where G.I. Joe wasn't needed anymore and everyone kind of went on with their lives mm. only to then be called out back into active service in, I suppose, the early 2000s when Cobra Commander returns to American soil and starts causing trouble. Um, and in the intervening years, he had kind of built up his empire, rebuilt his empire with the various dissidents and you know disenfranchised people across the world who were critical of the United States, which, I mean, if you think about what was happening in the world at the time, very, very fitting, very appropriate, yeah. in fact, because this was the era of September 11th. This is the era of Iraqi freedom. This is the era of, uh, you know, the, the, the hunt uh, for the Taliban in Afghanistan. So playing to all those issues, Cobra was riding that wave. Uh, whether they did it willingly or unwillingly, that's kind of how I read it. And that's what informed our playtime, kind of yeah, no, en for sure. enmeshing the real world big time. So I, I like the fact that things had moved forward and 
it felt very dangerous. It felt like, yeah, there are stakes all of a sudden. Whereas if I'm allowed a small but rather rather persistent uh, criticism of, <laughs> of, of our greatest scribe, Mr. Harmer's run, is the fact that like it's been going for a long time and it has had to stagnate for a long time. Nothing really propels it forward because all the playing pieces need to stay on the board. Everyone kind of is doing their same old shtick. Like I can count probably more than half a dozen times G.I. Joe has had an opportunity to A, apprehend Cobra Commander in Larry's run, or B, just put a bullet through his head and be done with it (laughs) (laughs) and have it. Um, They almost part on civil terms, which is bizarre because Cobra Commander is operating on U.S. soil and G.I. Joe is an anti-terrorist task force tasked with taking him down and they let him go. It's, 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 it's the Batman and the Joker situation where, you know, in order for this, this eternal struggle to continue, neither of them can take the final step. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas with Devil's Due, it felt like all bets were off. Yeah, I think so. There was definitely a lot of things happening. I mean, it was just interesting to kind of see even just the way the characters have changed over the years. I mean, it's kind of like a jokey thing, but um, so the first round, he kind of has a, a core group that Duke and General Abernathy have chosen. Um, and then they kind of go into a second round of like re-recruiting people. And as a joke, they included Bazooka at the end. Um, <laughs> he's, he's kind of, I think someone asks about him in, in one of the issues. He's like, well, what happened to Bazooka? I thought he was going to be called up. Oh, yeah. Uh, how can I put this? He he failed the... People who have to be... People have to be physically ready for combat right now to <laughs> accept it to the team. He wasn't ready. <laughs> yeah. But they, they have addressed the passage of time. Um, and it has been kind to some and not as kind to others. But what is your take on time passing in a comic series? It's, like, it's I suppose weird. in 2001, it could still be done, but it cannot be done in 2021. We no, can't have Vietnam now. veterans <laughs> still in active combat. Yeah, I mean, you, you could kind of go and say, yeah, back then, like 94, 95, they ended seven years later. This is them, the characters coming back. So real time has passed. Because I've, I've always wondered, like, how old is everyone roundabout, really? Um like, well, like late, they late would, they 20s, would be in their, early 30s. They'd, they'd be in their 40s in 2001, I think. Yeah, probably but by then they'd be in their 40s. Do you like playing these mental arithmetics or would you prefer comics to always be set in the eternal present and that characters are ageless? I think generally, I mean, it makes it easy to kind of take on current events. Where, where the characters are kind of ages and time does pass, but it doesn't pass the same as it does for us. Because I think certain characters are better in certain time periods. Like I think we've often said, you know, through dozens of episodes that we love the idea of the G.I. Joes being in the eighties, you know, cause where the technology that they're up against is advanced for the time. Um, but you know, they, they still kind of overcome what Cobra, what advantages at technological advantages Cobra has. But, but the further we get from the forward, 80s, yeah, mm. the further we get from the 80s, the more it's going to seem mm. like a period piece. Yeah, no, for sure. So I think uh, probably for a lot of people, it's, it's better to kind of keep them current, to keep them going, um, which works for most comic books. I think the most successful ones are, are the ones that keep being in the now. 
um, you know, especially like Marvel comic books, DC comic books. I mean, um, you know, they're always in in right now. What's happening now? The technology is is what it is. There's no like explaining like, oh, wait a minute. You know, when I was a teen, we had only had telephones. There weren't any cell phones. Um, you know, there's no addressing of that. It's just this is when the stories are taking place because it's more relatable, I suppose, for the reader. And they've pushed forward a lot of the designs. Some of them took directly from toy inspiration. Some of them were, I'd like to think, comic book inspired. And then the toys kind of stole the design, <laughs> if mm -hmm. that's how it works. Uh, maybe there was a, a kind of a royalty that needed to be paid. Or probably not. I mean, this is Hasbro's IP. They can yeah, they take, it. take your designs for free. It's like, oh, that, that's a great idea. <laughs> it, it's our idea, actually. Uh, <laughs> I'm you, glad you we thought of that. Yeah, you just did the design sheet for free. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to read out some character names, and I want your knee-jerk on their redesigns. Good, mm. bad, indifferent, harmless. Okay, okay, here we go. You ready? <laughs> yeah. First up, I mean, the big elephant in the room has got to be Duke. Not only has he got a redesign, but he's kind of been reset as a character. I think, yeah, Duke was, it was kind of weird to kind of get to grips with Duke not being in a, a suit. soldier anymore. Yeah, in a suit. I mean, it, the, the characters themselves are dressed up all the time. They're like, whoa, whoa, you're out of a suit now? When he finally kind of like gets into his old gear and it's like such a cool moment to see him like that. Or um, in his new gear. I mean, that was exactly his toy of the time, as I recall. It's yes. that green version with the sort of the undershirt. Yes, so it worked. And the non-removable helmet. The and you're like, he looks so cool. He looks like the toy. Um, and I think, yes, they're trying to explain it in that, that one-shot issue where he kind of, I think, captures his major blood or something. Um, but, like, it to me, it doesn't. he doesn't feel like Duke. So, yeah, I think my reaction to him being in a suit is kind of negative. They could have invented a new character to, you know, to take that place, I think. Okay. Knee-jerk on Storm Shadow. Storm Shadow, he looks, I think, I think it's a cool redesign. I think he looks, uh. I mean, definitely because Cobra Commander wants to show that he's, this is my Cobra Ninja. Um, and I really like those kind of like those <laughs> knee pads that he has on. Like, the, okay. you, 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 you can't mistake him being with Cobra now. Like, he's just Cobra <laughs> all over. <laughs> yeah. Um, members of, uh, of other podcasts don't speak quite as kindly. Uh, to that, <laughs> that 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 more intense branding, but you do put a, a pretty rational spin on it. That maybe <laughs> it's not Storm Shadow's choice at all. It's literally no. mandated by Cobra. It's like you will toe the line if you want to work for me, and you will carry the you brand. Wear this outfit, yeah, and and especially <laughs> yeah. because of the way the Cobra Commander comes back, because after the first arc, he's kind of he's been um, taken off the board, but by the end of it, he comes back. Um, and Storm Shadow is his ace in the hole, and he has to show that the power that he wields by wielding Storm Shadow is Cobra power. It's him. So by mm. overbranding him as a Cobra operative, like that's showing this is my man. You will stand okay. in line because this guy has my back. He's, so he's an got... extension of my power. I don't know. <laughs> so you're in favor with Storm Shadow. You're yeah, not in so. favor with Duke. Yeah. Uh, here's one that I'm going to wager you'll be in favor with Shipwreck. Yes, I think Shipwreck looks a lot more, he looks like more like, yeah, I mean, you don't want him to be exactly like everyone else, but I do like his, he feels, I don't know, he's still casual, 
because I think his him wearing his kind of like marine outfit was fairly casual. I don't know why. Maybe it's the the bell bottom pants, but <laughs> N- navy outfit. But close his enough. navy outfit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think he looks way cooler. Um, they make a jab at him, which is great. Um, the <laughs> sort of imposter Destro in the reinstated line calls him Ahab. Yes, and I would go Ahab. one further that he's 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 kind of traded in his Popeye look for his Captain Ahab look. Yes, and I think mm. even the Joes then carry that joke forward from there. There's a, there's a scene in an issue where um, Shipwreck and a couple of others are helping Stalker and Stalker's family move into one of the houses on the base where they where they are um, based. And yeah, they, they keep that joke going. He definitely looks more cool. He looks more action-oriented, I think, than he did in his his naval outfit. Yeah, it kind of pushes him forward and, and makes him a little bit more pliable as a guy from the Navy who now works for G.I. Joe and is not always involved in naval operations. Gives mm. him a little bit more scope. Um, though, we said this before, like there's something very superhero about a G.I. Joe's classic skin. And so it's always that much more vibrant to see a guy in what was a pretty outrageous uniform to be wearing in most (laughs) situations. (laughs) But like now that he's in a turtleneck and slacks and a beanie with some dark shades, it's it's slightly less bombastic, slightly less fun. Mm, Slightly less fun, but it it fits the the tone that I think Josh was going for. It kind of fits in with, with the look of all the other Joes. You know, he kind of has a certain look that he has for the team. Okay. So that's a winner as well. Now, yeah, how sure. about now this one? I'm I'm less sure sure on, but mm-hmm. I'm going to say you're probably going to also be positive about it. Mainframe. Mainframe. I think they've. <laughs> I think it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it's kind of not because it's like they've really turned him into like uh, you know like a walking computer, <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy because yeah. if you think originally he was he was one of the older members of Jojo. So by this time, he's what? He's pushing his 50s? And he's in like the skin tight computer outfit with like lights and shit on him. Um, it's a cool look, but maybe not necessarily for mainframe specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, Resistance yeah, think... is futile. <laughs> you will be added to our collective. <laughs> Your uniqueness will be added to our own. Yeah, man. It's, it's very Borg. It's very out there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I'm positive, but also negative. Like I like the look of it, but not for mainframe. I could be mistaken, but I don't know if there was an action figure replicating this look. So this is definitely mm-hmm. uh, Blaylock and Co. Kurth, Steve Kurth, is the artist, uh, kind of going off piste. Um, okay, uh, last one. I think. Um, I mean, we could keep going. Oh, you just uh, do I, all I mean, of just off the top. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like Zartan, knee jerk. What do you think? Ah, oh, yeah, I don't know. I think his, mm, all that kind of black is interesting. It looks cool, but then he kind of looks like kind of like a mafia leader, especially the way that the Steve Kurth draws him in those earlier issues. He's kind of, he's very heavy set and he kind of looks yeah. like, you know, he's in charge of like a, he's, he's probably like a mafia dude. He's like, you go do what I need you to do. Huh? <laughs> my daughter, you trust her. She's in charge. She do the thing for me. Oh, my skin condition. Um, yeah, and he's not well as well, which adds to the fact that he's more sedentary. You know, he's a, yeah. he's a leadership figure. He kind of has his goons and he sends them on their, their missions and he he's less of an active operator. 
yeah, I think it takes Cobra Commander to be like, hey, you have to start doing shit for me now because you owe me. <laughs> to actually make him start, you know, get out out there again, forcing him, despite his 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 frailties, to actually start doing shit again. Um, it's an interesting look, but uh, I don't know. I just don't like the characterization of Zartan in this. Um, right. He feels less like a psychopath and more like just a gang leader. Not he least of which because he's rational. now a father. Like As well. I mean, of all the characters in particularly the Cobra side of the fence, yeah, I could see Destro being a father perhaps, but Zartan, oof. I mean, I didn't think, I thought it's it's highly likely he's, he's sired many a child, but I don't think mm. he would ever claim them and kind of take them on. But I think, didn't wasn't there a kind of a backstory um, to Zanya that she forced her way back into his life? Like, it was I think so. Mm. It, it's possible, but I don't think I... Maybe I didn't read closely enough um, in those scenes. Well, well, we'll get to the the end of our Devil's Due experience uh, shortly, but uh, I did say that I was going to do one more, um, and then Zartan kind of jumped the queue. But Spirit, <laughs> let's, let's, let's round off with uh, Warrior and Shaman, Spirit. Tracker, Spirit. Medicine Man, all-around cool guy, now in black. In black. I think it's a cool look for him. I mean, it, it kind of de-emphasizes his... His spirituality, I think, it makes him more lethal looking. I think that's kind of cool. Hmm. I mean, okay. You know, he's still kind of a tracker. I mean, he's, he's definitely obviously still connected with his his um, his past and who he is, but he looks more deadly, which I, which I think is appropriate. He should be more deadly. Now, this is kind of not entirely my point, but I'm just going to point out that we have a few characters now skinned in black. Jinx mm. has ditched her red uniform for a black skin tight suit. Spirit is another one. Duke is another one. It feels like a lot of characters stepping on Snake Eyes' territory. <laughs> Except with their heads exposed, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Over to you, Rob. Well, I, I think with Joss's general move to more realistic look to the team or kind of like a more unifying look, it kind of makes sense that a lot of the characters do lose their bombastic coloring. Um, and I think it works in the stories that he's telling, you know, the kind of toning okay. down of the coloring with, with the characters. I mean, overall, I mean, also because the first couple of story arcs actually have several different artists or at least pencilers. Um, so the initial one is Steve Kurth, um, followed up by, okay, Steve Kurth does the, the pencils on the second run second story arc but by the third arc we have two different pencilers but what keeps things looking the art at least looking consistent um is is the fact that the inker and the colorist is the same in all of the issues mm -hmm. so there's this really nice consistent look to the issues which i quite like um not to go too deeply into the art but i think overall no, the art I, is pretty good i do pretty want decent. you to go deeply into the art you, you ah. say it's pre pretty decent not everyone yeah, would think, agree I'm not a comic book guy. Mm. I'm not a comic book guy, but my first blushings with it were it's not what I'm used to. It is a bit weird at times, but maybe that's just how comic books look these days. So I didn't think much of it at the time. Mm. But in retrospect, there are certain character renditions that are just downright ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of one instance where the Baroness looks... Freaky deaky weaky. Oh yes, there's a in one of the first issues. Yeah, yeah. You, get, you first look at all the characters again, and 
her and several other characters have very big chins. Well, she's like she's very got no chin chins. at all. It just kind of comes to this strange little pixie point. Yeah. I suppose the artist was trying to make them look a bit older. So I was like, okay, maybe she's aged a bit. She's not as good looking as she used to be. <laughs> <laughs> this is a strange thing to do to um, your previous sex pot. I mean, like Baroness is still moving a lot of comics these days. Or sadly, not as many as, 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 as the publisher might like. But yeah, mm. re- retailer incentive comic book covers, oftentimes it's just a, a hit star, a hit artist, artist, hit what a hitman <laughs> cover artist that's the word um yeah. te- taking crack at doing sexy baroness basically um so yeah. obviously that wouldn't have worked during this period of time um yeah. even though i think there were a lot of covers by j scott campbell especially the early issues i think oh, they yeah. got a couple of the the covers which were beautiful um but in in general i think the art is serviceable and works for the story um and generally steve kurth and the other artists are pretty good with fight scenes I mean, there's some really cool like fights that do go on between characters and his ability to kind of like, you can follow the flow of the fights across the panels is pretty good. Oh yeah. Blew my mind back in 2002, Mm -hmm. blew my mind back in 2002 reading the duel between Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes, which is something that as as an adult, I've kind of soured on the the concept of these two characters constantly fighting because God knows we've gotten a lot of that. But yeah. back then it was like, ooh, okay, so Storm Shadow is a bad guy again. Because this is another point that I wanted to make on record. Like, when I was introduced to Storm Shadow, he was a good guy. Like, it blew my mind when I saw a figure card back from Mainframe, one of my earliest Joes. And I looked mm. at the Storm Shadow illustration and I saw, what? Is a Cobra symbol on him? That can't be. He's a good guy. <laughs> weird man how can storm yeah. shadow be a cobra so this is seeing storm shadow as a cobra for the first time for us yeah because we didn't have any issues i think at all that had him as a cobra operative oh yeah of the original very brief, yeah well to be to be perfectly fair it was a very brief window in retrospect i mean in 84 the character was introduced he had a few outings and then before you know it it was i think in the very next year's worth of comic books, he was he was a co- uh, he was a, a Joe. Yeah, not a Joe. He was he was not um, working for Cobra anymore. He helped yeah. bust Billy out of Cobra, the Cobra held Springfield, and that was that. That was the end of his career with Cobra. Yeah, so it's kind of see it's cool because I mean, Snake Eyes doesn't really have an equal, at least the way that they've always portrayed him in the Cobra ranks, without Storm Shadow being a Cobra, even unwillingly. Well, it's certainly how the, the toy marketers saw it. They were like, ooh, this Snake Eyes character is getting really popular. Uh, we better have a... Oh, no, that's probably not how it happened. They probably... <laughs> they, yeah, they made a Cobra Ninja character specifically to just be this cool assassin baddie. And I think mm. Snake Eyes was elevated to match him, <clears throat> to be his equal on the Joe team. Because yeah. Snake Eyes didn't have a sword. Then there was a Storm Shadow with a sword. Then there was a Snake Eyes with a sword. <laughs> Which is also the version that Josh went with. He went with version two, Snake Eyes, as, as the look for Snake Eyes in the series. What do you what do you think of that? Uh, yawn. <laughs> <laughs> look, they, they dabbled yeah. with the goggles eventually. 
Um, mm. But look, you can't deny the iconic status of that figure. And so translating him into art is is what you're going to see more often than not. Uh, yeah, and we're going to see it in the Snake Eyes movie. To, yeah, I was about to say, that's the look that everyone seems to go with. Like, the version 2 seems to be the version that everyone outside of you know, the Joe community knows as Snake Eyes. I bow to the fact that the figure is mythical and, and, had, and carries a certain mystique that you just can't deny. I know a lot of it is built in, but it was like the first Snake Eyes that wasn't an OG-13 and therefore you know, slightly inferior in terms of its construction and material. You know, like the OG-13 Snake Eyes is, it's interesting. It's visually interesting, but not interesting enough. It's not unique enough to be mm. standing on its own two feet. Whereas V2, that was the one. That was when you said, yes, the Snake Eyes character has landed. Plus it came with a sword and the wolf, which are other t the other two kind of major signifiers of Snake Eyes's mythos <clears throat> and thankfully i mean joshi didn't focus heavily on snake eyes i mean he is yeah. definitely in there and in that second story arc yes he comes kind of comes there to save the day he doesn't necessarily save the day actually um but i like that there's a lot of personal stuff in in the comic books there's kind of like a lot of like um off you know the main story where you kind of get a little bit more about the characters having downtime or like uh, training and I actually kind of like that. I don't think we got a lot of that in Larry Harmer's run necessarily. So I kind of suppose, like that. yeah. There, yeah, there the are other... unique new facets. I mean, Snake Eyes and, and Scarlet. Well, Snake Eyes jilting Scarlet and and not <laughs> mm. going through with the marriage. Um, gee, snakes, what's up with you, buddy? Why you do that? Mm. But um, I think overall, there's a lot of intrigue. It's not just like 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 um, the main whatever the plot is you know like the first story arc is nanites very exciting <laughs> um <laughs> so so exciting they made a movie on the subject some oh, years later jeez. Oh, should we talk a bit about a bit about the toys yeah why not let's do it well they made neo vipers and neo vipers are debuted in the comic book series quite um significantly but they never made green shirts did they I don't think so, no. Were you they, a fan of the green shirts idea? The concept is interesting. I mean, where it's like the G.I. Joe team is not just the core team. It's it's a bunch of other people that can one day earn their, their code names. Um, and also allows you to have cannon fodder as well. It's not just oh. Cobra people dying, but <laughs> you can actually have people dying on both sides without losing your named characters. <laughs> don't you think it's a bit cheap though like just like red shirts in star trek <laughs> you, you kind of know that the the green shirts are there just to add add casualties <laughs> like they are sacrificial lambs to show yeah. the horrors horrors of the conflict yeah i suppose you do know that like going into it but it still kind of adds something to it um that there is there are consequences to 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 the fighting um it's nice to see how, in high regard, the, the actual official G.I. Joe team members are held by these guys. Like, these mm. guys are, are good. The green shirts, I mean, are good. No, they're fantastic. But they I mean, they, they mm. venerate the, the actual card-carrying G.I. Joe members, which is something that it's nice to see. It, gives you, it enhances your, your sense of who G.I. Joe 
who GI Joes are and, and what they mean to the other armed forces. Yeah, I mean, in, in the history that he's kind of set up as well, they even were teaching in schools about GI Joe and Cobra. <laughs> Just to further in the enhance the, the timeline aspect, the fact that this is all yeah, happening like, in real time. Like there were major events and GI Joe versus Cobra is a big thing. And even though GI Joe itself is a you know secretive organization, people do know that they exist and they, that they have fought Cobra in the past. Um, so it was it was interesting, yeah, that they, they do venerate them, but they also the old guard aren't in, invincible. There are many scenes where we kind of they get like um they come up. They're invincible. <laughs> yes, they're invincible. <laughs> no, carry on. They get wiped out. The old guys, well, really? Well, we're not wiped out, but in like in training and stuff, they, they aren't they, they you know, they aren't always all that necessarily. Um, oh yes, Dusty gets that, shown up by a, a female marksman with her pistols. Yeah, no, so it does happen every now and then, which I, I don't, I, I kind of appreciate that. You know, they, they are the best of the best, but these guys are also absolutely amazing. That's why they've chosen to be green shirts on the team. They've chosen to lay down their lives for official named GI Joe characters. <laughs> Watch out, sir! There's a his tank creeping up behind you. Uh, how do you sneak up? <laughs> how do you sneak up on Stalker with a his tank? I ask you. But anyways, that poor green shirt tackled him and took the and cannon round. Yeah, yeah, took the cannon round meant for Stalker. I mean, let's face it: a thirty millimeter cannon from a, a thirty millimeter shell from a his tank would blow right through both of them. But yeah, anyway, there'd be no chance for last words. There'd be red mist. <laughs> New code I'm name. I'm going to miss you. The Night Attack Chopper is a toy that kind of was released in that initial wave of new sculpt Joes. We never had it, but eventually we got the Desert Attack Chopper. Mm. But it is illustrated in some freaky fashion in the reinstated run. Like they, they give it a big old splash as it um, chases down the Dreadnought Thunder Machine. Yeah. But, and does it look strange? It looks insect like. The toy is weird, but it's not that weird. Yes. I think, I think when the cool thing is that generally when they have things to work off of, you know, especially original designs and toys that are really released, generally they look pretty good. I think they kind of sometimes take liberties, but like, especially in the, the second arc reckoning when uh, Cobra attacks Destro's castle, you could see Mumbers, um, some of the more updated Fangs, uh, and then also in the previous arcs, Hisses. Um, they do really good jobs, but I think designing their own vehicles, they aren't necessarily the best at doing that. Potentially they didn't have a night attack helicopter in hand. So they were going off like, 2001-esque <laughs> photography and scans. Yeah, and, and just uh, ballooning it outwards. Yeah, it didn't didn't look like a proper GI Joe vehicle. It looked like something that Cobra might have. Um, it really was, yeah, it was a very weird design. Or the Kryptonians. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> very insectoid, very um, Snydery. Um, okay, so like... So a lot of it was um, attempts to integrate the new stuff into the pages. But also, alongside that, there were also old favorites that were then expanded and mm. teased us because 
who wouldn't want a shark that could hold multiple personnel? Oh, those are gorgeous. Um, hey, and I think even a wetsuit when he comes back and then, yeah, he describes like all the new features and you're like, that's so cool. I know. <laughs> what do you think of wetsuits redesign? Uh, it's, it's weird. It's like they were trying to like squash down um, Deep Six's outfit. You know, mm. that kind of like like big armored thing into like a more streamlined look. Uh, I prefer it when he wore a wetsuit. <laughs> like he, he doesn't look like wetsuit now. Like I think when I first saw him in the comic, I was like, oh, it's Deep Six. And then, then he actually says his name, wetsuit's back in action or something. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <You're> Sploosh. <laughs> yeah. I, I recall teetering on the brink of ordering that figure. But I couldn't, man. Kind of a diver with a tea crotch. Yuck. Yeah, there were a lot Bad. of misses in these, these this this figure era, I think. Well I mean, fortunately they, they, they quickly best. fortunately they quickly did away with the tea crotch construction. I think mm. maybe the word on the street was so poor. Um the reception was so poor on like a reduction in articulation with G.I. Joe, the figure that revolutionized or okay, they stole it from Micronauts, but G.I. <laughs> Joe brought the, you know, the O-ring style construction and all its kind of niceties into the mainstream. And to then kind of have a reduction of that, gross. So bad. Yeah, no one wants that. Um, that's also probably yeah, why we didn't get a lot of these figures. That's we probably kind of why, why you and I snapped up all the G.I. Joe armored space guys. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing them. Worth buying. Yeah. <laughs> well, fortunately, as I say, they, they learned their mistake quickly enough to course correct. So that mm. initial wave, which I think had Neo Viper, Duke, uh, Wetsuit, Cobra Claws, Heavy Duty. I'm sure I'm forgetting a, a bunch. Are they probably. Snow, oh, they did. They did job, maybe. What is this? Fro Frostbite. Frostbite. Yeah, very good. Um, Cobra Commander was in there. I'm mm. pretty sure they did a Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow with the T crotches. Yeah, I remember Snake Eyes had blue accents and Storm Shadow had red accents. Yeah. Just in case you need to further differentiate the, differentiate the black and white. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we skipped all of those except for Duke and it was a two pack Duke and Cobra Commander. Yeah. Um, and then we got the kind of the second wave, which had Stalker and Flint and Blowtorch. And I think there was a Scarlet that we eventually got, which were great. Was, I mean, yeah. they were different, but they were very playable. Their articulation was great. They were hardy. They had very gummy, rubbery hands, which could accept a, a great variety of weapons that you didn't feel like the thumbs were ever going to break. There was a Baroness in that line as well, I think. Oh yes, she you know, was pretty decent as well. She came with Flint, so we kind of yes, decided that, right. that that was your two pack. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. So I mean, definitely the the construction, at least hands wise, was way better. I mean, you were never af afraid to put any weapons in these guys' hands. I think that's probably the biggest improvement, at least for me, over you know uh, vintage proper vintage shows. Mm-hmm. Among the vehicles, I'd say the the night attack helicopter and the and the and the grizzly tank, I think it was called, were probably the, the high points. Mm -hmm. um, but look, Hasbro, in retrospect, 
delivered a masterstroke in the the old vehicles because effectively you put them together. You know, these things were just still on their sprues. Um, yeah. So so the production cost was relatively low. Flash forward to the early 2000s and you're getting fully assembled and even fully stickered vehicles ready to play with straight out of the box. The construction was hardier, obviously. You know, it wasn't clipped together. It was screwed together. Yeah. Uh, because they did it for you. But I'd just say, like, the feel wasn't the same. The level of detail wasn't the same. A lot of areas were flat and undetailed, whereas in the previous generation of G.I. Joe, you'd have sculpting in overdrive is a term that I've used in, in a review or two on the G.I. Joe book channel. Um, hey. Whereas now things seemed a little bit less... There's a little bit less love shown to the... the yeah, story. especially, like, I mean, as I was saying, they did uh, the Fang 3, I think, was featured in the second storyline. Um, yeah, and with sound attack. Yes, oh, God. <laughs> but, yeah, it looks a lot more smoother. It doesn't look as detailed. It looks more like a toy than it does a representation of a vehicle, you know? And don't get me started on that damn rotor. Ugh. Oh, Lord. Ugh, Why? Gross. Why can't you have straight rotor blades? I don't know. It was this kind of like in the era of where they thought like it's a stealth helicopter. It's got like this kind of kink to the blade. Ooh, it's it's totally better for lift. Whatever. What could be they just did that because it would fit in the packaging better. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, true. And like, I mean, this is how much the, space you got. <laughs> with the night attack helicopter, you actually kind of pulled, you, you clipped the those weird wonky blades into the hub. Yes. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, the thing itself. Also, the the tail is extendable. I think, Ew. like it comes out slightly. Does it? Oh, I'm blanking. At least, well, I'm 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 looking at pictures now. Um, it extends very slightly. I think it's it might just be much. the way it's constructed. Like it's it's oh, a two it two piece plastic, but you know, <laughs> it's not designed to actually extend. I don't know, but like, yeah, it just it was kind of dumpier, thicker, less detailed. Mm. Um, less less fineness to the mold, less fragility. It certainly would play better with a, a small child. Yeah, it makes for um, a better toy, but not as such a cool G.I. Joe vehicle that fits in with what you might have collected before. Everything's a lot more rounded. Like you look at the His Tank 4, um, it's very rounded, the front. It's very, it's very plasticky. Yeah, yeah, that's the word I choose to use as well. I mean, it's a very amorphous kind of word, but I, I'm mm. pretty sure everyone listening to this gets what we are going for when we say plastic. Yeah. Also, the G.I. Joe logo of this era was a debacle. I did not enjoy that at all. I prefer a clean, like, white stamped text with the tricolor, um, mm. the, the kind of border, and then putting red into it. It just, and then a star kind of extending off the tricolor. It's too much, too busy. This thing, like a logo, an effective logo for G.I. Joe has to look like something that like they just stamp all over all their equipment. Like it has to look like military lettering, like something they've stenciled, bam, done. Um, If it looks too over-designed and too embellished and too colorful, it doesn't look like a authentic military bit of, you know, branding. Yeah, it looks like they have a marketing team who's like, okay, this is what's going to look really good when we drive down the streets and the kids see us. So make sure you show it off. <laughs>
I think I'm going to leave it there because our dalliance with the Devil's Due run ended almost as abruptly as it began. And maybe you can mm. give us the reason for that. But I remember you got the floppy for the first issue of the Malfunction storyline where they had the super yeah. bat. And that's it. You stopped buying issues and <laughs> you're the comic book guy, man. I just... I just moved you just off your them. collection. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so with you no longer I, purchasing them, I I stepped off as well. Yeah, I can't. I don't remember the specific reasoning why I stopped. Um, because I mean, looking back now, having reread these issues, um, like the storylines were interesting, and I, I think it was definitely going something somewhere really cool. I mean, Reckoning was definitely a cool storyline, um, especially with the with the the final fight uh, with like Firefly and Jinx was really cool. Um, and with the, the 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 bat and kind of like how they developed bat technology over time was was interesting. Um, it could also be it could be a licensing thing because I know over the years, um, it's not always been easy for the shop that well, that I used to shop at and now that I work for my the comic shop, um, to actually get GI Joe stuff because often the licensing would change and they weren't uh, the company that distributes comics aren't allowed to um send out. Um, products based off certain licenses. I know this happens a lot with, with G.I. Joe. I know it's happened with uh, Disney-based uh, licenses, like DuckTales and Scrooge and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> so I reckon it was probably a licensing thing because it was a really good story. I mean, I, you know, looking back at it now, it's really good. It looks like it's going somewhere. Uh, Josh was introducing a lot of new aspects to the, to the mythos, the, a lot of new ideas. Um, but yeah, I think it was probably... We, I just couldn't find get them anymore. Oh really? Yeah, I think I probably would keep going, mm-hmm. but because of but I'm assuming now it's licensing. I'll ask my bosses on Monday, and I'll, <laughs> I'll let you guys know in the next podcast. <laughs> Maybe they'll remember. Yikes! Yeah, that is a pity. Okay, so there there were larger forces in play. I thought maybe you'd kind of soured on it and 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 moved on to other things. I don't think so. Oh, maybe, maybe, but I just I don't remember the the exact reasoning why. Um, I mean, we were just so now, excited to, to to be on the front lines, as it were, of GI Joe comic book collecting. Like mm. the ARA run was, we were too late for that. Like, yeah, I'd only just the year before started picking up issues at like spinner racks at cafes and stuff, mm. and then and then I go into a CNA news agent, and there I see issue one fifty five. And it's proclaiming on the on the top, this is it, the final issue of GI Joe. And I'm like, oh what? I and just I'm, a nine, I'm a nine year old, <laughs> and I'm like, well, I, uh, what? It's stopping. And that was the signal <laughs> that GI Joe was actually coming to an end. Like we thought this would la- this line would last forever. We thought it would be like Lego or Playmobil or Barbie. Like every year, there's just a new season of Joes. It's just taken for granted. But it no, GI going, Joe yeah. had a shelf life. It was a very long shelf life. Longer than a lot of people expected, I suppose, in the toy industry, but it was finite and that rocks my world. But hey, flash forward to 2001 and we could actually month to month invest in a title. I'm surprised yeah. we didn't do it further. But as you say, you had a overhanging reason, that being the availability. And me, I was just not a comic book guy enough to do a subscription service. And hey, it was 2001. Like we didn't know how the internet worked. Yeah, we had just barely started ordering stuff off eBay. I mean, the next couple of years was, I think, when we really started uh, our stride on that. 
Like I always yeah, had a simple economy. <laughs> Actually yeah, exactly. <laughs> you bastard. Um, <laughs> I had a very simple economy in mind. Like, if I was to start diverting money to paper, it would be taking money away from plastic. Yeah, and you know me, baby. I'm all about the plastic. Absolutely. But yes, I had a relatively enjoyable time rereading these issues. A lot of it might have been nostalgia, but a lot of it has got to do with the fact that. Yes, Homer is the master who we owe so much to. He built the sandbox, the sand castle mm. that all these other authors now play in. But there's something very fresh and very exciting and very real time and real world and dangerous about the Devil's Due run. Yeah, and they sure. definitely did some dangerous things. I mean... Spoiler alert, but at one point, Lady J is bumped off. Ah. So Flint becomes this PTSD haggard soldier. Now, love it or hate it, but it did propel things forward in a, you know, this isn't a soap opera, man. Like, the status quo is not being maintained. This is, this is a new slant on Joe. So... You know, it's 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 fearless in taking out a named loved character. Mm -hmm. No, I, I definitely so far I've enjoyed it, and I think I'll I'll probably uh, between now and future episodes I'll definitely read more. I'd I'd be curious to get um, Paul's perspective on Devil's Due. We should definitely revisit this. <laughs> you know, he'd be dying to give it. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Postbox the pit time. Hey, yeah. we got some lovely response from the last episode, which. Is great because I wasn't on it. But yes, Rob, <laughs> you are well liked in the GI Joba community. Thank you for everyone who saw fit to write in. Um, I'm sure you're feeling the the love, aren't you, Robbie? Absolutely. Um, I've, I've definitely I've, I've looked at the YouTube comments. Um, lots of really great stuff. Thanks, guys, for for welcoming me back. I've, I've, I definitely feel I'm back where I belong. I'm going to paraphrase Tetsuo's wrath on on the YouTube comment thread. And just uh, points, point two questions at you that he had. Rob, mm -hmm. I want to know who you think the scoop head sculpt looks like the most. For me, I always thought he kind of looks like Scott Bakula, Sam on Quantum Leap or Captain Archer on Enterprise. Another question is, what do you think is in Scoop's pouches? Gum, more film, condoms, narcotics? <laughs> he goes on and says that he's surprised no one asked what do you expect or want to see from a classified scaled Scoop figure? I'd imagine he'd have a camera, backpack, helmet with mic, silenced pistol. But what about a Nerf gun or two? Anyway, yeah. uh, those are his questions, and I'd love you to take a crack at those if you don't mind, Robbie. Well, I think I think Scoop always just looked like Scoop to me. Um, I, I never think I associated with looking like anyone else. Um, years later, I kind of finally looked into you know the real life guy, um, and it's definitely a, it's a very good likeness of him. Um, it's, uh, it actually looks like that dude, whatever his name is again. <laughs> uh, shit, I'm blanking as well. Like, backwards. <laughs> I knew it, and then, uh, uh, no, no, um, it's gone. Oh, jeez. Leonard Michaels. Very good. It came yeah, eventually. Oh, God. Yeah. Mike Leonard's. We're getting old. Um, yeah, so I never really had a picture of who he, he looked like. Um, he just looked like Scoop to me. 
Um, but later, yeah, on he definitely did look like the actual guy, um, which I thought was cool. Um, as to what he has in his pouches, yeah, I reckon tons of film. Um, maybe some stuff to kind of keep him occupied. Uh, maybe a book or two is kind of like you know rolled up and shoved in there to keep him uh, his mind going. Um, and probably like repair equipment as well to kind of to fix his camera to keep the the transmitter operating so he can kind of always be filming and not have any downtime while he's out in the field. And what was the third question? Oh, oh classified. I think you kind of answered that. You said like uh, I think it would be a modern update with, modernized... with drones and stuff. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I think the, the my concept for a modernized or updated scoop would work very well for a, a classified version. And you could probably actually do a lot more. You could actually include the equipment could actually be better because he is at a larger scale. You know, he mm -hmm. kind of has like like he still he could still have a proper camera that he uses, but definitely drones is, is would be a a big update and would actually probably work with the the classified look as well. You might yeah, not be kind of aware of this, but the mm -hmm. classified series Lady J figure uh, to to kind of supplant her classic camera accessory, mm. they've got like a camera on like a gorilla um, stand. You know, so it's got those like interconnected balls, which oh, that's cool. They don't actually articulate, not all of them at least. There is some articulation, but it's, you know, it's like a, a sort of a, a backpack cam kind of extended oh, over his shoulder. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that would definitely be a very good accessory for him. But I think the inclusion of drones is definitely a, a fantastic way to update Scoop's look and mm. his, his um, effectiveness in the field. And they would, they would definitely work with a, a classified version. <laughs> Red Wing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Or, well, the Firefly uh, for Classified comes with a drone and uh, you can actually attach a piece of explosive to the drone's Damn. feet. Kind of zzz, fly That's off. fancy. Why I don't know, right? that big. I think I saw pictures of it and the drone is maybe a bit too big. I, like, I want like smaller ones, like, yeah, Red Wing-sized ones. Yeah. I think that would be kind of cool. Brother Malachi asserts that Firefly was trained by ninjas <laughs> but never became one. Just to... Uh, Put us on the on the straight and narrow. Thank you very much, Brother Malachi, for for sorting that out. Because um, I, yeah, I believe it came up in your episode, Rob. You were kind of debating whether or not Firefly was in fact a ninja. Yes, and also interestingly, in that issue, in the final issue of Malfunction, where Firefly goes up against Jinx, even they mention it there. Jinx is like, "Hey, I thought you'd be better at this, having been trained by the Arishikage clan." Um, yeah, so maybe if I've read The Devil's Do Stuff a bit earlier, I would have been able to answer that better. <laughs> hey, man. We on G.I. Joburg make no illusions that we are all-knowing. We're just all passion. Hell yeah. Now, here's a, a jolly little um, soundbite from, ah. from our newest member of the Berg Force, the Patreon tribe, to steal Mike, uh, Mike Mercy's term. Um it's Snowcat Ron, and he's got a little, little sound clip for you, Robbie. Hmm. Scoop. Verleden jaar ben ik uitgeroepen tot de grootste specialist ter wereld in zaken waarneming en berichtgeving. Ik moet die titel blijven verdienen. In ieder geval, als ik niet film, roffel ik nogal eens op die stumpers van cobra's. Ron then very kindly gives us the English translation, which reads as follows. Last year, I was proclaimed the world's biggest specialist in observation and reporting. 
I must keep earning that title. In any case, when I'm not filming, I tend to drum on those Cobra losers. <laughs> what do you think of that? That sounds much better than how I said it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I don't think you did too badly, uh, but... I think it was okay, but definitely getting a, a native... Ron is setting the record straight. Well, getting a native Dutchman to, to say it, yeah, for sure. Oh, yes, I think I, I did I did reply to your comment, and I think um, uh, on, on, on the video, yeah, I think I did a good job, and I think that's a cool expansion to the idea of scoop. Um and and rifflin is a really cool word for the sound of of drumming. Um, Ron points that out that that's the word that like drum makes at least in Dutch, rifflin, hmm. which I think is really cool. The special Dutch drums, hey? Hell hey, yeah, Rob. they are rifflin. But thank you for saying that. Ruff, ruff, at least now I know how to actually say it. <laughs> Nice, nice. Two shout-outs I'd like to make before we part company. Firstly, Action Robot Punch is delivering the goods. My goodness. You'll find him on Facebook under Ted Terranova. But if you want to find him on YouTube, the channel is Action Robot Punch. And why do you want to check out Action Robot Punch? Well, let me tell you why. He has not only motorized his mauler with a sort of remote control, so you can actually make it steer uh, without actually having to touch the damn thing. Not only has it been able to in integrate a remote control engine into the classic Mauler, he's made a additional canopy on the turret for a third figure. The turret can move remote control. It has and side the gun side goes up and down. And the gun can elevate. Oh my <laughs> goodness. This is the ultimate Mauler upgrade. So I'm going to put the link in the description wherever you listen to this podcast or watching this podcast, a link to the channel and to the video will be available. So shout out to you, Ted. Well done, sir. That is very, very impressive. And I'd also like to point out the impressive stop motion work of product of uh, five, 5,100 productions. I'm not sure if that's how they intend their channel to be called, but they've only got one. Well, they've got they've got one stop motion saga kind of broken up into multiple videos on their channel at the moment. But it is a great, great entry into the GI Joe stop motion pantheon of videos. Yes, yes, it's really good. Operation Midnight's Gold. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Correctly. It was there was a lot of fun. Uh, I, th I believe it's two brothers who who, who make the videos. Um, well, they have the same always. surname, so I assume they're brothers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they seem yeah, to be composing their own music, which is cool. Yes, I saw that too. The music was really good throughout that throughout the video that I watched. Yeah. Part one so, of Operation Midnight Gold. So big ups to both these content. Well. The, all three of these content creators, though I think Ted also has uh, help from a, a youngster. So whoever is, is responsible for these incredible videos, congratulations, guys. G.I. Joburg salutes you. And with that, I think, uh, well, only one thing remains to be done other than us leaving this session and closing the chapter on paying the devil his due. Hey, Rob, who do you put in your buzzball? In my buzzball, mm. I have a viper in there currently. Yeah, I don't think I have anyone specific that I would think to put him in there. Well, 
I would put in Soul Viper. Oh, Rufo, oh, Rufo. No. <laughs> oh. You really are dead now. <laughs> I know, terrible. And the setup for that was terrible as well. But, but just on a practical note, Saw Viper fits that cockpit better than anyone else I've ever tried. Mm. As you recall, it is a it's a mission to get a figure into the cockpit of the the buzzbore. You kind of yeah, have to not like turn him on his side, get the legs in first, then squash the body, the torso down to f- slip the head under the, the sort of the rim. Mm. But Saw Viper being kind of lean, um, he, he he fits there pretty pretty easy. I mean, he's he's got a smallish head, uh, and his you know his frame is kind of. In Afrikaans, they got this great word, scrawl. He's a scrawl mm. viper. He's kind of scrawny. <laughs> He's kind of, yeah, he, he, needs, he needs a high-protein diet, that's for sure. He does, though. <laughs> Anyways. Well, I look forward episode... to being able to yeah. do that one day, 2032. <laughs> 2032, i got a soul viper just for you. Hey. All right. This has been episode 195 G.I. Joburg. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Please leave a comment and a like and a subscribe. Do all the things, guys. Uh, We'd love anyone who would want to listen to these kind of fireside chats to get the opportunity to. And weigh in. Yeah, man. Yeah, please. Let us know what you think. If you want to send us an email, you can send us an email at arealsouthafricanhero at gmail.com or just... Hit us up on Facebook. We've got a burgeoning, lovely little group. Though I think we've capped the membership, haven't we? We've got like 788 members, and that's the oh perfect thats the perfect G.I. Joe number, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, no uh, one else allowed. <laughs> who will be number 789? Ooh, maybe, maybe it's you, dear listener. Maybe we've already done it. Whoops. Hey. <laughs> we, are, we are recording in the past, of course. Um, Yo, Joe everybody. Absolutely, yeah, Joburg. And if you if you like us, maybe get yourself a, a piece of merch of our Teespring store. And if you love us, join us on our Patreon. We would absolutely love to have you guys on there. Join us live, even. We sometimes get audiences up in here, and you guys can just chat with us. And I think that's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Do it. See you in 196, guys. Yep, see you next week. Bye. Bye.